y'all, my name is Jay. I'm the pastor of Children, Youth, and Family here at the table. And I do have a couple more quick announcements before I get in on the message. Uh, that just, we just want to make sure, extra sure that everyone knows. So um, Sully's job up here is to uh, help out kiddos who feel like they need a little bit of a break, a little bit of a sensory break to get uh, just beyond these doors and take a break if they need it. And as well as if your kid needs help finding the bathroom and you'd really love to just stay and hold on to every one of my words, um, you can send your kid up here to Sully and she will make sure uh, that she walks them out into the open, point them towards the restroom, wait in the hallway while they go in, and then she'll make sure that they get back here safely and that they don't wander. So we just want to make sure that uh, we're extra sure everyone has what they need tonight because we are worshiping as one community and that can come with its joys and with its challenges. All right. Um, before we begin tonight, I know that some of us might be kind of sugared up. Is that true? Would you say that some of us are maybe a little bit, a little bit up on those, uh, the Reese's and the Kit Kats? So what I'm going to have us all do quick is we're just going to stand up and we're just going to do a little bit of shakeout and a breather, okay? You can stay uh, seating if you don't uh, need the shakeout, but stand if you're able and willing and just uh, start, in your, start in your arms and your shoulders and just shake it out and then move it down, and then just shake it out in your feet. And now we're just gonna take one collective big breath, all right? So in, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, and then out, all right. You may take a seat. I just wanna do that because I know that uh, this, is the week of, this is the week of many sugars, so I just wanna make sure that we're all in the good headspace to be together. Um, if you couldn't tell, I'm one of the scariest things you can be for Halloween, which is I decided to dress up like a Hillsong pastor tonight. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, this is actually how I always dress, so that's just a dig at me and not, not at them. Uh, I did bring a banana head, but I figured that would be deeply inappropriate to preach in. All right, so tonight I want to begin by inviting my good friend Wyatt up here, and he's actually going to read the text for us. One of the joys of having a kid involved service is that our kids participate, and that means reading the word. So Wyatt, I'm going to hand this thing to you. It is green. It's on. I'm going to have that text brought up here for us, and you can go ahead and read. Jesus went out beside the lake again. The whole crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. 14, as he continued along, he saw Levi, a son, sitting, sitting at kiosk for collecting taxes. Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up and followed him. Jesus sat down to eat at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. Indeed, many of them had become his followers. When some of them, the legal, uh, of the legal experts from among the Pharisees saw that, was he, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call the innocent people, but sinners. Thank you. Thanks, Wyatt. Appreciate it. You can take a seat, bud. So this text, I want to first acknowledge, has a lot of what we can call theological gutters we can get stuck in, uh, which is that word sinners, all right? 
I want to acknowledge that some of the worst sermons that could come out of this text and some of the worst sermons that have come out of texts that repeat the word sinners, uh, this is from the minds of our third through fifth graders, sermons that they have either personally heard or that they know people have preached because they've heard uh, secondhand of sermons like these. But uh, we talked about this word sinners and, and, um, and some of the worst sermons we've heard related to that word. And, and the kids came up with these four points, which is that some of the worst sermons we've heard when talking about sinners say either just specifically that gay people are bad sinners and that they are horrible people. That number two, insert group here, whoever we don't like are bad and they're sinners. Number three, that uh, if you don't believe exactly the way I do and see scripture exactly how I do and you don't do things exactly that this church does, then you're a sinner. Or four, uh, just, just big old general, you're all sinners and you should all be sorry about it. Right? And so <clears throat> I think it's important to start with this, which is that the word sinners or the word sin or the word sinner, all of those sin-adjacent vocabulary words in Christianity are loaded. That sinner can be a loaded and a weaponized term. And for something to be weaponized, y'all, it means that we take something that's not meant to hurt, and then we make it with our own power into something that is a weapon that can hurt people. Like a what? Like an airplane. And so I want to I at first acknowledge that many of us have had this word used against us. I've had this word used against me. In the, in the ninth grade, I had someone tell me that they couldn't be my friend anymore because I was a sinner, right? Um, that they wield this against us, and they hurt others. And that impact matters, and it hurts. And ironically, that is in itself sinful to hurt others by making weapons of things that are not meant to be. But I also think it's important to talk about the fact that harm does happen. That things like racism, things like sexism, things like violence, they, they're not like rain. It doesn't just start falling. It's not mysterious. People participate in things and in behaviors and in systems that go against God's promises of life, of abundance, of flourishing for all, that go against the justice and the mercy shown to us in God's character. So I think it's important for me as a person of color, as a queer person, to know that in fact there is harm that people use against each other and that that is what we call sin, that that to harm others, to transgress, to trespass, it matters too. I think many of us have experiences of being sinned against. And so to be in a church that tries to ignore the idea that harm happens is not helpful either. So I know that some of us are at different places with that, but I wanna say that for me, as someone who's been called a sinner, I do think it's important to talk about that there is harm happening and that we can conceptualize that as missing the mark of God's love and justice and mercy. We can call that trespass. We can call it a lot of things. But I think tonight it's important to redeem some idea that it is important to talk about how God approaches sinners. And in this case, it's not just moral sin of who's 
land with who and who's having marriages with whoever. It's about Levi as a tax collector. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So let's, let's go to the next thing. I want to go back to our kids. A lot of the kids up here uh, last week talked about uh, different people in their lives that they think are absolutely the worst people, <laughs> according to them, that they would never want to have to interact with ever again if they did not have to, all right? Again, just super quick. We've got girls at school who have taken over eight lockers <laughs> just because they can. We've got bullies actively calling kids names, hurting kids with their words, hurting kids with their hands. We've got kids who uh, are bad sports at the end of games and swear at other kids on the field. And then we've got kids who are hurting other kids, um, again, maybe with their words, maybe with their hands. So all of these things are real. These are real ways that our kids have experienced hurt in their lives and in their communities. So those definitely, for some of us, might sound distant, like, okay, if you not got kids, then you're just maybe thinking, okay, well, yeah, when kids are kids and they fight and whatever. But if you level these things up into adult behavior, that becomes incredibly, incredibly harmful. That girls at school who take over eight lockers just because they can become, that behavior becomes something as an adult, right? Some adults in here, have you experienced other adults who basically take eight lockers at school just because they can? In a way, it meant to hurt other people. We experience bullies, not just in schools, but in our lives, in our communities, in our government. What? Cyberbullies. That stuff matters. That harm is real and it is there. And those people doing the harm need someone to speak to them. And so I asked the kids, okay, these are people who you uh, basically don't like, not because you're like judging them, but because they've hurt you, because they're not fun to be around. Because these people are not kind towards you, and so you would rather run the other way all day, every day, than hang out with these kids, because who would want to hang out with these kids? But I asked them, I asked them, if you could imagine, if you could hope and believe for some change for these, for these kinds of kids, what would that change be? Again, if you could believe that some radical change would happen in these kids' lives, what would you hope that would be for them? Or what would you believe they are capable of? And so we, we asked that question and we got this. What change we hope and believe was possible for these kids in our kids' lives was becoming more considerate as people, using influence to help others instead of hurting others, and acting humbly and kindly. That the kids that we were talking about just now, that uh, the kids in my class basically would never want to associate with if they had a choice, they also believed and hoped that real change was actually possible for them. And I think that matters, and that matters in Mark 2 especially, that Jesus, as he's talking to the people, as he's teaching the people, that then he goes and he calls Levi, who is a tax collector, who at the expense of his fellow Jews is collecting, is reaping the benefit of empire, and is contributing indirectly and sometimes directly to the oppression of his neighbors. And Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to teach the people and be with the suffering. 
But Jesus says, I'm going to have dinner with the man that no one else in this community wants to have dinner with because he's the bully, because he's the girl who's got eight lockers just because they can. Okay? It is really, I think, for me, easy sometimes to just reduce Jesus' love to, well, Jesus sits with the, the outcast and the poor and the, um, the little guy which is true, and we need that message so badly because it is true, and many of our churches don't act like that's true. But sometimes we do that at the expense of remembering that Jesus, too, sat with the people that nobody else wants to sit with because they are the people causing the pain of the others. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Because it's not a very good message. It's not a comfortable one, and it's not a feel-good one. But we're going to keep moving into it, and I hope that you all can continue to receive this message. Let's go, I think, to the, the next slide. So these are the things that we identified within the kids, right, that was happening. The things that those kids wouldn't be able to articulate, but that our kids did articulate these things that they saw were happening with those kids. That misusing power to benefit themselves instead of helping... That's something that Levi is doing as a tax collector, misusing power for the benefit of himself and for empire rather than helping his neighbor. Influencing others to do bad things instead of good things. I think we see that a lot, right? Making people feel bad about themselves. Those are the key things that seem like these behaviors the other kids were participating in do. And yet, still, with no evidence that those kids could ever change, our kids still hoped and believed in real change for those kids away from these behaviors. Uh, I think that one was repeated. We're gonna, I think the next thing we're doing in, in these slides is I wanna show you guys a video. This video is a, of a man named Michael Kent and of his probation officer named uh, Tiffany Whittier. Michael Kent was a man who was involved in a neo-Nazi gang in Arizona for 20 years, and he was in prison for a hate-related crime. And when he got out, he was assigned a probation officer named Tiffany. She was a black woman assigned to his case. She didn't have a choice in it. She saw the pictures of his many, many, many swastikas, and on his back it said, uh, I think it's something like white power or white pride. It was tattooed on his back. His house was full of Nazi insignia. And she was expected, as part of her job, to show up and be part of this man's life. And what it did was change both of them. We're just going to watch a quick clip of that. So, Tiffany, when, when you first got the, the, the case, what were your thoughts? Like, was it just like, oh, it's another case? Or did you have any kind of trepidation? Like, what was your experience like when you first came into encounter with Michael? When I first got his case, I reviewed it. Uh -huh. um, I saw his tattoos, the hate tattoos, but I didn't judge. I just knew I had to go out and work with this person, interact with him, and try to make him a better person from, from the first time I met with him. Yeah, did you, well, the story is amazing. So you had all these tattoos. In the, in the video, the ABC News, they show you getting those tattoos removed, which is very painful. <laughs> Yes. What was the transition? Like, what, what made you decide, like, you know what? I am going to leave this life of hatred and racism and to pursue somewhat of a reconciliation and truth. Because for once in my life, I realized that 
people of color do believe in good. She seen good in me. She gave me a chance. She gave me a second chance. Benefit of the doubt when a lot of my own people didn't give me the benefit of the doubt and didn't believe me. She showed up at my doorstep and knowing what the odds were. She came here, she opened her heart. From that day on, our relationship started growing and she's been an inspiration to me and helping me get rid of all this hate. It's easier, it's easier to love than to hate. Hating takes so much time and energy. So Michael talks about the way that love from Tiffany, who in her professional capacity didn't really have to show him that much love. She said to do the very bare minimum of being a probation officer, but she showed up and engaged in deeper relationship with Michael. And he talks about the way that relationship and love changed his life. He could have had recidivism. He could have said, I'll just do this probation thing and I'll get through it and then I will go back to living with my friends in my neo-Nazi group that I've been with for 20 years of my life. But he says that relationship changed him. And in, in Mark 2, we see Jesus engage in relationship to call Levi away from something and to something else. I don't know if y'all, uh, when you got in trouble when you were a kid, how effective was it? Like, did y'all ever get the mom, I'm disappointed in you? Like, raise your hand if you got the mom, like, I'm disappointed in you. And that hurts so much more than the mom yelling at you and telling you, like, the laundry list of ways that you had, like, disobeyed her. That the mom, I'm disappointed in you, cuts so much deeper, in my experience, than the mom, oh, you, you didn't listen to me, and here's how all the ways that you didn't, you didn't live up to what you were supposed to be doing. And why is that? I think it's because in the disappointment, there's an implication or an assumption that she loves you so much, she believed in you a better thing than you had done. And that cuts so much deeper than going up to somebody and just telling them how wrong they are. I can guarantee that I, I reflected on my behavior and I believed that I needed to change way more than when I got the mom, I'm disappointed in you, than when I got the uh, angry, righteous mom who just told me her opinion. Because I saw that she believed in me better than I was being. That's relationship. To look at somebody and to say, I know you, I see you, and I know that this is not who you are. That's how we approach our kids in kids programming here. I don't send kids out of the room and yell at them like, you're not listening to me, you're not being quiet enough, you're not uh, participating. I don't give them the laundry list of things they're not doing to be a good community member of the table. I'll say, hey, I know you. I know you can do better than that. You can take a break until you're ready to do that. But I'm not going to give that kid a laundry list of reasons they're not living up to community expectations. It's about relationship. There's so many times in my life I've experienced that as well. I want to keep going with some images of, of some of these types of conflicts. Um, this is an image from one of the many protests that we've seen over the last couple of years. And for me, my, my, my assumption is 
immediately that Jesus is only for the people protesting. That Jesus is only for the people holding the flag. But Mark 2 shows us that in order for anything different in our world to change, it might not be us, but that Jesus, that God is also in his mission, wanting to transform the violence of the people on the other side of that line. Because if I'm gonna be free, niceness doesn't do me any good. If I'm gonna be free, I need the person on the other side to transform and experience something radical. I need to believe, like our kids believed for those kids, that this person wearing a trust Jesus sign and trying to smash down someone's pride flag can experience some kind of transformation. For my black friends and neighbors and loved ones, I need to believe that there are cops on the other side of that line who can change. That the system that they are working in can experience something radical. I need to believe that. And that is the bend that the gospel invites us to in Mark 2. Uh, here's a Trump shirt. Anyone ever seen these before? It's a, it's a baseball jersey that on the back says Trump 45. And when I was in college, there was a guy named David. And David uh, wore this Trump 45 shirt everywhere he went for like two weeks. He wore it over like every shirt he was wearing. And he was in residence life with me. And he was in fellowship of Christian athletes. And he was in X, Y, and Z leadership thing. You can name it. He was in it. And he was really nice. But he wore this shirt every day for like two weeks. So one day I said, David, let's, let's get coffee. Let's just get coffee. And he said, okay. We got coffee and I sat down and I said, tell me, about your, tell me about yourself. Tell me about where you grew up. And he told me about his hometown. He said, tell me about your family. And he told me everything he loved about his family. And I said, tell me about your church. And he told me everything he loved about his church. And I said, tell me about your relationship with God. And he told me every way that he saw Jesus as love and the way that he saw Jesus as mercy and the way that he viewed his relationship with his faith. And I said, David, do you realize that when you wear this shirt every day for two weeks, you send a message? And he asked me, what do you mean? And I said, you're telling me right now about the love and compassion your community showed you. And you're telling me about the faith you have in a Christ that believes in the transformation of people and of the world and love. And you're wearing a shirt that to me and my friends, as a foreign-born person of color who's queer and who's transgender, this shirt sends me a message that I can't approach you, that I can't be your neighbor that I can't talk to you, but we're having coffee, so clearly I can. But what your shirt sends a message is not one that I see who you are. And he said, I never thought about that. I didn't know that. Nobody in my life has ever pointed out to me that something like this sends a message that is opposite of the message I wanna send. And I said, well, I see you, and I like hanging out with you. And this shirt, 
It affects me. And he never wore that shirt again the entire time I knew him. I don't even know if he kept it because I never saw it again. Summer or school year, it wasn't just like, oh, I won't wear this around Jay because he's offended by it. I never saw that kid wear this shirt again a day in his life and I knew him another three years. Relationship changes people. When we're willing to confront someone and say, I see you, I know you, and this is not who you are, it changes people. This is a picture of me with a group of, um, I don't even know how many people in that picture, but the whole trip all together, I think it was over 20 Christian young adults in uh, Israel and Palestine for 10 days. And a lot of these kids go to Hillsong churches, and a lot of these kids um, believe differently than me. And a lot of these kids read scripture in a very specific way that I do not. Um, and I spent 10 days with them, building a relationship and getting to know them and knowing who they are, knowing who they uh, know God to be. And I didn't say anything about myself for 10 days. I just wanted to ask a lot of questions. I shared things when people would ask me things. I didn't like stonewall them. But I just wanted to know about them. I wanted to know about their experience of whatever small town in Texas. There's a girl from a small town in Texas in the group. I wanted to know about their big LA church. I wanted to know about their family. I wanted to know about what drove them to be on that trip. And at the end of the 10 days, we were sharing what we got out of the trip, and uh, they gave me the microphone, and I stood up, and I said, y'all don't believe in God the way I believe in God, and I didn't say it this whole time, but I know that we don't because I know that the churches and the communities and the things that you were saying, the people that I know that you follow, um, they don't believe in some of the rights that I need. I'm queer, I'm transgender, and I grew up being told to be afraid of you. But I'm not afraid of any of you. But is that who you wanna be known as in the world? Are the churches that people hear the name of and become fearful, is that who you want to be known as in the world? The pastors that you follow and hang on to every word and repost their things and idolize have done great harm to my friends, to me, to my community. Is that who you want to be known as? I said, I didn't tell you all for 10 days who I was because I was afraid that who I was would stop the friendship at the door from starting. Is that who you want to be known as? This little girl, I'm sorry, not little girl, that's really condescending. I meant this, this girl from a little town is what I meant. This girl from a little town in Texas looked at me right in the eyes, bawling, and she said, I am so sorry because I would never think that was the message I was sending. And I think I need to go back home and I need to rethink some things. And she hugged me and she said, I'm so glad that you shared with us who you are. I don't think I will ever have an experience like this again. And I just said, I really appreciate 
being part of your community for 10 days. I don't want to take it further. I don't want to keep having a conversation about the theology of gender and of sexuality and whatever. But I said, thank you for letting me be part of your community as well, part of your life. And I had people come up to me at dinner that night and as we left and in the airport as we said goodbyes and people who looked at me and said, I never thought about that a day in my life. But I know when we leave this trip, it's going to take me a really long time to stop thinking about that. And so I don't know if any of these kids went back to their hometowns and went to a pride parade. I don't think so. I know the way that a lot of them continued to post about certain things and about certain topics that lead me to believe they're still on a long journey to it. But I know that there's a lot of kids in this group who for the first time in their life had a moment, an integral moment that said, you need to start thinking about some really serious things that Jesus is calling you to. And it was life-changing. I want to show us uh, a couple quotes. There was a quote uh, by Richard Rohr. I think I'm out of order. I, I think I ended up skipping it, but I wanted to show this quote by Richard Rohr. It says that most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, God loves you so that you can change. What empowers change, what makes you desirous of change is the experience of love. It is that inherent experience of love that becomes the engine of change. There's nothing that we need to keep doing to be worth the change, to be worth the love. God loves us so that we can move into that space. The last quote I wanted to quote was this one by Carter Kelly from the Queer Christian Fellowship. It says, we need one another to remove the veils from each other so that we may reflect the glory of God. It's uncomfortable and it's hard. And it's easier to say, uh, heck with my racist uncle at Thanksgiving this year, I am not going to sit next to him. It's easier to do that. And for me as a person of color, I need you to do that. I need you to opt in to hard conversations that remove the veil from people who need it. I need you to be in relationship with the people that annoy the heck out of you every time you try to have a conversation. Not if it's not safe for you. But if it's just uncomfortable, I want to invite you into that uncomfortable. Um, I think I had one more thing up here, a couple more things, some questions to just leave us with. I know this was, I just went with it, but these questions, I want to, I want to leave you with these. Do we believe in transformation? Do we believe that transformation is truly possible? Jack does. Raise your hand if you believe transformation is truly possible. You've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. I hope some of us in this room have seen it happen because it is possible. Last question. Are we prepared to engage in the uncomfortable relational effort? What that means is are we prepared to have friendships and relationships and real moments with people in order to see real transformation in our world. Uh, what I want you, I uh, want to invite us all to do right now is, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes. What I want to invite you to do is to raise your hand or stand up if you want, I don't know. Could be more powerful to stand up, I don't know. 
what I want you to do is in some way signify if there's someone in your life that you know needs significant and radical transformation. Whether that's out of racism, whether that's away from violence, whether it's dealing with addiction and recovery, whether it's family-based violence, whatever it is, raise your hand in some way or signify, do you know someone today who needs significant transformation? And what I want you to do is to hold that hand over your heart and to think of the question that I asked the kids, what do you hope and believe is possible for that person? What do you hope and believe is possible for that person? Because the good news in Mark 2 is that Jesus is ready to sit down at a table, to lean back and to have dinner with those people. Even if it's hard for you. Amen. If we think about this transformation, think about the, the, the Last Supper that Jesus had. That was supposed to be this big moment of transformation. That actually in the story of Jesus, it mattered more about what happened at that table in some ways, in my theological view, than what might have even happened on the cross. Because at the table, Jesus brought people back together to be in relationship with one another. So I'm going to invite my friend Hazel up to help me. And your dad is welcome to also help us. Hazel, I'm going to have you hold this bread. So this bread represents Jesus' body. And on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread with his friends. Hazel, can you give me a big old break? Break. And then hold up triumphantly the bread. Jesus broke that bread. And he gave it for all to eat. In relationship. At a table where many people at that table needed significant change. And he passed it and he blessed it. And after dinner, he took the cup. And he also blessed this. And he passed it to each and every person at that table to drink. Now, Hazel, I want to have you hold that. Careful. What I'm going to have you do is just hold up the cup and show the church. He gave us this cup and he passed it for all to drink. Thank you, Hazel. You can take a seat. Because Jesus believed in that relational change. So tonight we're all invited to the table. Uh, we have gluten-free bread. All of the bread is gluten-free and we use juice. And as we're invited to this table, each and every one of us, it's to remember that relationship changes us. And that act of communion, of taking communion, is one of the biggest acts of relationship we can do each and every week to be reminded of that. Um, yeah, we invite you to approach the table as you feel comfortable. Uh, and before we do that, we'll pray in the prayer that our Lord taught us. Please stand. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. That is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to invite um, Evan up if you'd like to come help with the wine. And I'm going to invite Gracie to hold the bread. Please approach the table knowing that this is the Lord's body broken for you. And this is the Lord's blood given for you. 